Now we're going to turn together to God's Word for this morning, which today is uh, the start of, of chapter 13 of, of John's Gospels. If you haven't got a John's Gospel, uh, if you haven't got a Bible with you and want one, there's plenty available uh, at the back where Chris is just headed. Give us a wave, Chris. There you go. If anybody wants one, or if some people have asked you already to grab one for them, Chris, that's great. Uh, John chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to hear this read uh, for us today. So you might want to uh, sit and, and just listen to it. You might want to read along. Uh, you might want to watch the images on the screen. But either way, let's just enter into uh, this familiar story and allow it to speak to us uh, in a fresh way today. just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returned. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, you shall never wash my feet. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, 
No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Greece, thank you guys, uh, and he was desperate to conquer it. If you're an emperor or a king, you get to decide this. I just want that territory. I want to go and take it. And so he's marching his army towards Greece. But the trouble is, there's this huge river that lies in their way, and so he calls the best bridge builders he's got, the best engineers, and they start to build bridges across this huge river. Uh, and they're nearly there, they're nearly across, and the armies, they're waiting to go pumped and primed and ready to go storming into Greece. And the night before, there's this torrential weather, and the river itself swells up from all the rain and knocks all these bridges out that they've spent days and days building. Now, Xerxes is so furious about this that he commands that the river should be punished for stopping him doing what he wants it to do. So he commands that the men grab 13 chains, these huge massive chains, and whip the river. This is, you can read this in history, this actually happened. They actually went and got some hot irons and branded the river as well, as if that would hurt it and punish it. And all the time they were given a phrase that they were meant to be saying to the waters, you salty and bitter waters, you will be punished for trying to prevent Xerxes from getting into Greece. And I wish I could say that was the only time that ever happened, but Xerxes on another occasion wanted to kind of build something up on this mountain. He wanted to carve a, a path through it. Now, no, no lie at all, he was so worried about this big building project that he wrote a letter to a mountain. I don't know if you've ever tried this. I don't know where you'd post it, but he wrote a letter to the mountain saying, if you cause me trouble when I'm trying to carve a path through you, I will have you leveled to the ground and no one will ever remember the name of you ever, ever again. Now, we read that story, the kind of the emperor's complex, the Xerxes complex, and we think, wow, that just sounds so ridiculous. I mean, who would try to punish a river? Who would write a letter or say something to an inanimate object? That's ridiculous. But I wonder how many times for us, when we've been typing something on our phone and we just can't get it to work, we've been tempted to throw it. How many people have thrown their mobile phone? It's more than that. Come on, you can be honest. How many people have shouted something at something else or thumped the car uh, when we've been trying to do it? And all that shows that it's not just kings and people in power that have this problem. We all have this problem with this thing called entitlement. This should do what I want it to do. This should behave in a way that I want it to behave. This should always give me what I need it to give me. And it's not just things, is it? It's people as well. This person should respect me more. This person should give me their, their time more. It's not right. It's not fair. In the middle of the word entitlement is this word title. 
And if you really want to know how seriously you take yourself and how important we think we are, just look at the stuff that gets us angry, the stuff that frustrates us and gets us annoyed. Entitlement is an awful thing. It robs us, doesn't it, of deep relationship with each other. It taints our humility. It feeds our anger and our self of sense and uh, our sense of self and, and ego. And sadly, entitlement can crop up anywhere and everywhere. We see it in this passage here that we've just heard read. As Jesus and his disciples gather together, John tells us right at the start of this passage that it was just before the Passover meal. So they've journeyed to Jerusalem. And Jesus has tried to prepare them for the fact that he will be the final Passover lamb. That when he gets there, he's going to be handed over. The power that he has and the life that he has and the body, the energy, the dreams, the time that he's got is going to be handed over. And he spells it out for them in incredible detail, everything that's going to happen to him. And he wants to demonstrate that as practically and as memorably as he can, as we're going to remember this morning in a way that he invites us to with bread and with wine. But before then, he takes them to this place, a large upper room. And as they journey in together, somewhere in the room, there would have been these large ceremonial washing jars. You know, when Richard Hodges plays the bongos, you've got these huge things. They would have been sort of bongo-shaped, huge things, filled with water. And we read a, a couple of times in the Old Testament, I think it's five or six times, times when water is provided for people to wash their feet. You'd never really expect somebody else to wash your feet unless they were beneath you. So if you're entering a house and there was a servant or a slave, usually the newest slave, the youngest slave, would wash your feet for you. Nobody else uh, would do that unless there was somebody of lower status there. And foot washing was thought so low down the rank of things that you should do that no Jewish person would ever wash another Jewish person's feet. Only if it was a Gentile slave would you ever have your feet washed for you. But the, the jars were there, and as they were filing into the room, they noticed there are these jars there. It doesn't occur to anyone to offer. It doesn't occur to anybody to wash their own feet. They're... They're above that. Have you ever been in a situation where there's something that needs doing, and so you just avoid eye contact with it? You just don't, don't think about it for a while. Just file past it. That's what they're doing now. They're walking past these huge water jars. But something else is going on inside of Jesus. And John lets us in on two really important things that are happening inside of Jesus that kind of combat this culture of entitlement. Just before the Passover meal, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew. Despite the fact that he's worked so hard to prepare the disciples in every way for he can for what's about to happen, it will come as an incredible shock to them, but not to Jesus. Jesus knew. And Jesus isn't at this moment just knowing that it will come. He's knowing that the hour has come, that this is the night, that a time when he could be forgiven of thinking of himself, he's still thinking about others. Having loved his own 
who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I love uh, John's writing, and John's got this way of taking a Greek word that means two different things and putting them in a context where both are true. And this word here, the full extent of his love, can either be um, translated as he showed them the limit of his love or that he loved them to the end. If you want to know who Jesus is, Jesus doesn't love you a little bit. He wants to show you the full extent of his love, the full limit of his compassion, his affection, his adoration for you, the limits of his love. This is who Jesus is. And he loves us to the end. He doesn't just love us when we're performing well or when life is good or when we say the right things or believe the right things or don't do the wrong things. He loves us to the end, to the end of ourselves, to the end of our faith, to the end of our energies. This is who Jesus is. And this, in this moment, remarkably, is what is going through Jesus' heart, this love that he feels for them. And it says to you that he showed them Love has to be shown, doesn't it? Somebody once wrote brilliantly on the the theme of of giving that it might be possible to give without loving, but it is impossible to love without giving. Love needs to show itself. It needs to be expressed. Love that is hidden or, or unexpressed is a bad thing for us. And Jesus wants to show his love. And, of course, John is hinting to everything in this one verse, that it's the night before the Passover. So this meal won't be the only way that it's shown, but it's shown in part here, the love that he has. And I wonder today if Jesus wants to say to some of us, and this might be the only reason you've come today is just to hear this, will you create space for me to show you how much I love you? Jesus takes them. He doesn't have to do this. It's not en route. He takes them to the upper room because he wants to show them something. And maybe today Jesus just wants to say, will you make space for me to show you how much I love you? Because we need reminding, don't we? We need reminding. There's something else going on in Jesus. Jesus knows that his time on earth has come to an end, but that's not all he knows. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knows these things. What did the Father put under his power, literally in the Greek, into his hands? All things. Everything. Heaven and earth dances to his authority. The wind goes where he sends it. Disease flees at the name of Jesus. Demons themselves go running in his presence. Death itself lets go of its victims when Jesus stands and calls their name. Everything is under Jesus' power. God did not put Jesus into a corner and force him to the cross. It's in Jesus' hands now. And so what will Jesus do with these hands that have all authority, all power, Well, in a moment, we'll see what Jesus does with those hands. Those two things are so interesting, aren't they? Love. He's filled with love. And yet, at the same time, he commands all power. Love and power. It seems to me that we we live in a world 
that loves power. And we can name people, can't we? Easy um, people that we can sort of have a go at for loving power, but the truth is that sense of entitlement runs through each and every one of us. I had to catch a train recently to go into town for a meeting. and It was so interesting on that train, uh, somebody was sat on a seat a few uh, rows in front of me and got up to go check something, and somebody else sat there. And when that person came back, they said to that person, oh, I'm so sorry, you're in my seat. Well, that seat had belonged to that person for about 30 seconds, if nothing more, but somehow it was, it was unthinkable that they would have to go and find another seat. No, I, I chose this seat, and we're like that, aren't we? In big ways and small ways, this is mine. And you can't have it because I'm too important to give it up to you. We love power. In a world that loves power, Jesus shows us here the power of love. Turns it on its head. It's interesting to me that the power without love could lead to manipulation, couldn't it? If we're capable of something, but we just don't care, there's no concern we can use that power to make what happen what we want to have. It just leads to manipulation. Love without power is just going to lead to frustration. If I care deeply, but I have no capacity to do anything about it. But love and power, love, uh, power especially led by love, is going to lead to transformation. And that's what we're about to witness here. So Jesus has these hands that are filled with power from on high. So he gets up from the meal. He takes off his outer clothing. He wraps a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. John deliberately here is describing it in a, in a certain way. There's certain moments in Scripture that I read, and I wonder to myself, how did that happen? You know, how did this come about? You know, like the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes the loaves and the fish, and he prays for them, and somehow a crowd of at least 5,000, maybe even 10,000, are all fed, and there's leftovers. So what happens? Does Jesus pray, and when he opens his eyes, suddenly there's more fish and bread than there was before? Or is it as people are taking a piece, it's somehow rematerializes that's not a theological word i know but do you ever have this you wonder how did how did that happen you know that that moment when jesus calls lazarus out of the grave and he's been bound in grave clothes and placed in a tomb that has steps going down to it and they roll away the tomb and they roll away the stone and, and lazarus is there how how did he get up the steps i mean jesus says to them take the grave clothes off we have all these things don't we that we don't doubt them but we just think what was that like to be there well, John leaves us in no doubt what happens here. And I think it's because every detail is actually significant. But you can, almost in the way he describes it, just imagine the shock on their faces. People who've been through life-threatening situations say that the shock is so intense, it's like time slows down. Some have even had the experience of other memories coming flooding back, like life is flashing before their eyes. This is so shocking that they're almost witnessing it in slow motion, cannot believe what they're seeing. So he got up from the meal, and he took off his, his outer robe. Unbelievably, I know this will seem daft to us today in our enlightened culture, but 
There was a time when clothes were a status symbol. I know you're not going to believe that, but it's true. Jesus was recognized wherever he went as a rabbi. And so to take off his rabbi robes, to lay aside his status. In fact, the word that John uses here to, to, to put his clothes down is the same word he will use when Jesus says, I'm laying aside my authority, my glory. John is not being accidental with the details here. Jesus is taking off his status. He's stepping out of his position. He wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he took a jug, and I presume he plunged it deep into this um, washing jar, and he pours it into a basin. At this point, the disciples are thinking, surely not. Surely this isn't going to happen in, in the same way. But see, Jesus wanted to show people this. So I'd like to show it to you. Daniel, you're just sat closest. Can I borrow you? Is that okay? Would you join me? And so Jesus goes to the disciples. And he takes off their sandals. And he washes their feet. Daniel, do you mind? Great. You had a shower this morning, Daniel? I have. Ah, good, great. It was a few hours ago. It's, um, it's interesting that the, the only way to do this is to get down, isn't it? It's to stoop. It's to kneel. You can't do this by asking somebody to, to bring you their feet. That would be such a strange thing to do. You have to, to get down. Of course, in, in Jesus' day, the footwear was sandals. So people were walking around in a climate that is much hotter than ours. I know we've experienced something of it the past few days, and many of us have been wearing sandals, I'm sure. But that was their climate. And so as people walked in the heat of the day, their feet would get sweaty. And as they walked on dry and dusty roads, their, their feet would get covered in, in dust. That's why having water to, to wash your feet was such an important thing. And so Jesus takes their feet. And he washes them. I was tempted to get some shampoo, and I'm now wishing I had done. But Jesus wouldn't have had shampoo. Thank you. And Jesus goes around the room, washing the disciples' feet. Soothing, cleaning, cooling, cleansing. If you're on tea and coffee this morning, please don't use this tea towel. No, no offense. No offense at all. And it's amazing to think that Jesus does this 12 times. 12 times. So for James and John, who only days before had asked, Jesus, when you are seated in glory, can I sit on your right? And can my brother sit on your left? Ambitious people, willing to cut in front of others to get ahead. What does Jesus do for somebody like that? Well, apparently he washes their feet. And he comes to Philip, the one who at the feeding of the 5,000, he said, how are we going to feed these people? And Philip has said, it's impossible. can't be done. He's questioned Jesus' orders. What does Jesus do for people who question him, doubt his power? Well, apparently he washes their feet. We know from the text 
that Judas is still there at this point. He hasn't left. This lying, conniving, deceiver, betrayer, who is about to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What does Jesus do for someone who betrays him? Well, apparently he washes their feet. Peter, who days before this, when Jesus has tried to talk about the cross, has said, Lord, this could never happen to you. Jesus, who will, uh, Peter, who will pledge, if all these others run off, I'll go down fighting at your side, who will this night betray Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. What does Jesus do for people who deny knowing him? Well, apparently he, he gets down and he washes their feet. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. I wonder today if there's a reason why it's feet that Jesus washes. I've tried to say and portray as clearly as I can just how humbling and lowly that kind of status is. But I wonder why feet? Why specifically feet? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but your, your feet and your head are more connected than you realize. I know there are opposite ends of the body, but at some point uh, when you were a toddler, somebody grabbed you by the hands and helped you up onto your feet and taught you that actually that's a much more effective way, much more efficient way to get around than your knees. And we all were convinced by that and learned to walk. But today when we get up and walk, we don't think about it, do we? How many people walked here this morning? Yeah, how many people walked from their car? That's the other question. Uh, we didn't think about it, did we? We didn't say, right, I'll put one foot in front of another and then balance, and then I'll put one foot and then I'll shift my weight. We, we just do it automatically. If you want to know where your head is really at, find out where your feet take you. If we really think that we want to serve God and find a way to serve that, well, our feet will carry us to places where we can do that. If we're serious about meeting with others and... On Sundays in small groups, we, our feet will carry us there. We'll follow our head, won't we? If we put a tracker on you today and plotted where you went this week, which you can do now, can't you? And worked out where, where those places are. Your feet carry you to your important places. And they also carry you to, to other places, don't they? If you know that it's not healthy to stay up late at night and watch dark things, filthy things on TV... You could think that in your head, but until your feet carry you there, you're going to stay in that place. Uh, our feet bears the marks of, of where we've been. We learned in, in COVID, didn't we, that there's certain things that we can do to protect ourselves from the world. Uh, we can not touch people, we can't shake hands with people, but we learned the elbow bump, didn't we? Which was quite confusing to me because we were all told to cough into our... But there we are, we survived it, that happened. But we learned, didn't we, that if we didn't want to, we didn't have to contact people. We could even cover our faces if we were worried about that and protect ourselves. If you don't want to, you don't have to make eye contact with anyone. You can even get super dark or shiny sunglasses so you never have to contact anyone even in the eye again. But your feet, if you're going to do anything in this world, your feet will have contact with it, won't it? And our feet get dirty from the places we go. Just ask Josh, he asked to borrow my shoes a while ago and he still hasn't cleaned them. But there we are, that's another story. I'm not bitter, I've let it go. 
But it's true, isn't it? That that place that contacts the world is the very place that Jesus wants to touch and that Jesus wants to cleanse and heal. I don't know what you're like with feet. They're not the best, are they? They're not the cleanest. They don't smell the greatest. They don't look the best. I don't care how much time you spend painting your nails, lads, but it's, it's not the best. And that place that we often want to hide and disguise and cover up, Jesus wants to touch, to cleanse. And Peter doesn't know if he can allow it, does he? It comes to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I don't know if I can let you do that, Jesus. And maybe for some of us today, there's a place in us that we don't know if we can let Jesus touch. I don't know if I want to pop the hood there, Lord, and let you look inside. I know you know, but I don't know if I want us to talk about it. If there's an area in, in our hearts that we, we just keep to ourselves, we've maybe named it before God, but we don't really want to go there. But see, when Jesus comes and touches his cleansing and his healing, the truth is if, if sin were dust and mud, we'd be caked. We'd be rooted to the spot. And we do all kinds of things, don't we, to try and clean ourselves, like disguise it, to deny it. I wonder today, can you let Jesus touch it? Can you let Jesus in? Maybe for some of us today, there's that blind spot in our lives. It's not in the mirrors, but if we turned our head, it would be just there. And maybe Jesus today just wants to say, will you give that to me? Will you place that into my hands, as scary as that is? And let me clean you and let me wash you. There's one final thing I want to share just before we come to, to communion today. Uh, and uh, this, this came to me uh, early this morning, uh, but I do think it's something that is really important. Uh, Jesus and Peter are having this conversation, aren't we, in, in this moment. And Peter actually says to Jesus, no, you will never wash my... These are harsh words, aren't they? Hard words. You'll never wash my feet. I can't allow you, Jesus. I think too much of you, I think too highly of you to allow you to do this for me. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I, I love Peter, Peter so much because he can't have a thought, can he, without saying it. There's, there's just no filter. There's just no mask at all. So Peter blurts out, well then, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. You can almost hear the frustration in Jesus, can't you? Will you just let me do one object lesson, Peter, without spoiling it? But Jesus' words to Peter are so important. He says, a person that has a bath doesn't need to, to wash again. They only need to clean, clean their feet. The, the rest of them are clean. And then he says to them, and you are clean, though not every one of you, because he knows that Judas is, is still there. And I wonder today if, if some of us just need to hear this. A person who has a bath doesn't need to wash again. They just need to wash their feet. I'm standing this morning over the top of the, the baptism pool, and that's a huge symbol for us of, of what Jesus does in our lives, doesn't it? There's one man in the New Testament, I haven't got time to go into the whole story now, but a man called Saul who became Paul, 
who at one point receives a healing from Jesus, his, his eyes are opened, and then the man that is leading him to Jesus says to him, now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And that's an invitation to everyone here today. Wash your sins away. If you've never done that, we'd love to talk to you about the power of this public symbol of saying to Jesus and saying to the world, I'm clean because of Jesus. I'm free because of Jesus. Sometimes we fall so far, we wonder, can I start again? Sometimes there's things in our lives that we know shouldn't be there and we tolerate them long enough that we wonder, Lord, are you in my life at all if I'm living with this? Am I even saved if, I'm, if, if I've become this person? And I wonder if Jesus just wants to say to someone today, you are clean. You might need to wash your feet. You might need to give me that thing that you hold secret, that you hold secure. You might need to let me touch that, which you don't really want to let me touch. But you are clean. It's amazing those words that we were singing earlier really struck me. I am redeemed. I am restored. By your spirit, I am free. But at some point, I've got to start believing in my own conversion. I've got to trust that that's true. I've got to step into that, live like it's real. Maybe Jesus just wants to say to someone here today, you're not perfect. I, I need to wash your feet. Don't try and do it yourself. Let me do it. But you are clean. You are free. You are redeemed. You are safe in this love that loves us to, the, to its limit to its very end. One final thing, and then we'll, we'll pray together. Uh, I was reading uh, this week, again, another example from history, so I hope you're all impressed by this. Apparently, a British Prime Minister, William Gladstone, once said that when the, power of, uh, when the love of power is overcome by the power of love, the world will know peace. And as much as we pray for that today, I want you to know that you can have that peace of the power of Jesus' love, overcoming even our own love of power, if we're willing today to let him in. So let's just pray together. I'm, I'm sure for some of us today, we've already, as we've been listening, been personalizing this. And we know what it is we need to bring to Jesus today. But for others, maybe the Spirit just wants to bring something to the fore, bring something to mind, not for the sake of guilt, but for the sake of grace. And because in Jesus' hands, all that has clung to us has no power. In Jesus' presence, all that has stuck to us and stung us can be washed off can be made right, can be made clean. For I am convinced that nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are clean in Jesus' name.
you are loved in Jesus' name. You are forgiven in Jesus' name. You are safe in Jesus' name. So, Father, I pray that this might be a safe place, especially today as we come around your table. Might this, Lord Jesus, be a safe place to open our hearts to you and let you touch that which we'd rather others didn't know, others didn't see. And Father, as we receive that afresh today, might you inspire us that if you, Jesus, wash our feet, how much more should we wash each other's feet? So Father, would you strip away those things that the world will will pile upon us, a, a sense of importance, a sense of power, a sense of position. Help us to shed those things by your grace that we might step into your grace, servant and king, this is our God. And Lord, today we recognize how difficult this is. We thank you that we do not have to do this on our own. We thank you, Father, for your promise that we will be clothed with power from on high. As Holy Spirit, you rest upon us and remain within us. That you bring to us that overflow, that avalanche, that tidal wave of your love. To help us to breathe in afresh the power of your Spirit. To know your power to change. To know your power to live, your power to love, your power to serve, your power to let go, your power to lay down. Would you be at work in those places, Lord? Would you do for us that which we cannot? So breath of God, we pray. Would you fill this place? Fill our lives, fill our hearts, fill our minds afresh. And meet us around this table, we pray, in this meal of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.